Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. A very warm welcome to you uh, if you're here with us uh, in the building, especially if you're a guest or if you're following along online. Uh, it's wonderful to have you with us. A very warm welcome. Now, we're here to worship God. Uh, today is, as we say, the second Sunday of Advent. As during this time, we remember both Jesus' first coming and also his second coming. As we think about his second coming, when he will come not to, to save, but to judge. Uh, for the Lord is a God of love, but he is equally a God of justice. And so as we prepare our hearts now, just let us just take a moment to calm ourselves, to settle ourselves, take a moment of quiet before we come before this holy God. Lord God, our Father in heaven, help us to humbly come before you this morning as we give you the honor and praise to your name. Help us to trust in all that you've done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ as we come to you in his name. Help us to tremble at your word that we might be encouraged, rebuked, corrected and built up by it as we come before you in the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's uh, lift our hearts to our God as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as your children, adopted and sealed by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we now belong to you and to one another as the eternal family. Thank you that you are the perfect Father that we can always rely on and who never lets us down or disappoints us. Thank you for your infinite love for us, for your great compassion toward us in our times of suffering and weakness. Thank you for your promise to never leave us or forsake us when things are going well and when they are going badly wrong. You know us intimately, better than we know ourselves, and nothing we do surprises you. Thank you that you have told us that you make all things, whether good or bad, work together for our good. You are a good, good Father, and we delight in you. Forgive us where we have fallen short this week, and help us to forgive those who have wronged us. We pray for this Advent season as we remember the Son of God taking on flesh and coming into this world as a baby born of a virgin in an animal shelter in Bethlehem. And we pray for all the extra activities in the church and in the village that will serve to make the good news about Jesus known. We pray that the words that are spoken and sung will make sense to those who are listening. And we pray that the Holy Spirit may open the eyes of the blind, that they may come to put their trust in you, our Saviour and our King. We pray for our missionaries, David and Binny, and we pray for wisdom and guidance as they serve the church in India. We pray for unity and commitment for their church leaders in the task that they have been given. 
we pray for the church to continue to grow in numbers and maturity. Thank you for the encouraging wedding where many heard the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. Thank you that Neil and Liz were able to visit and encourage them in the work and to be a blessing to them in ministry and friendship. We pray for the country of Ukraine that war will cease and peace be restored. We pray for all the families that have been separated by distance or death. We pray that they will be enabled to find freedom in forgiveness toward their enemies and that those who are separated by distance, that they would be reunited with their loved ones. We pray for the people in our locality who are struggling under the high cost of living and the prospect of an austere Christmas. Help us to be aware of families who need a helping hand so that we can show the love that we have been shown and enjoy this Christmas season. We pray for Neil as he comes to preach your word. We pray, Father, your Holy Spirit be upon him, anoint him. We pray that that word might indeed pierce our very hearts and our very souls, that we might know that you have spoken to us individually and personally this morning. We pray, Lord, for clarity in our hearing. We pray that all the distractions of this week and even of this day be removed from our minds, removed from our hearts, and that we may concentrate and devour every word that is spoken by you through Neil this morning. For we ask it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everyone. This morning's reading comes from Prophet Isaiah chapter 64, and that can be found in the Blue Church Bibles on page number 752, or in the large print Bibles on page number 1127. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. 
Our holy and glorious temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Thanks, Vicky. Morning, everybody. Well, I think we all know that this world is not um, as it should be and as God originally made it, as people have failed to to love God, um, so they've failed to love one another, they've failed to respect and honour one another as fellow human beings with different cultural backgrounds, speaking different languages, with different personalities, but all made in the image of God. And sure, the world is full of injustice. At the extreme level, we see uh, thousands of Ukrainian soldiers and citizens killed by Russian troops invading their country. We see Christian schoolgirls being kidnapped and raped by Boko Haram in Nigeria. We see parents and children drowning in the Mediterranean, even in the English Channel, having crowded onto small boats in desperation to to leave the situation in their country. We see Christians imprisoned, killed for their faith in many of the countries taking part in the World Cup. We read about these these global injustices and are upset by them, but we have to carry on with our lives. However, we will all at some point be impacted personally by injustice. Some of you may have been the victims of abuse. Some of you may have experienced discrimination in different forms. Some of you may have been cheated on. Some treated unfairly by an employer. Some may have fallen victim to a scam. And it makes us angry, doesn't it? It makes God angry because he loves justice and he hates Injustice. His anger is not the anger of a, a crazy murderer or tyrant. It's the anger of a holy God, the righteous anger against all that is evil and wrong in this world. And it may cause us to ask the question, well, why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't he, in the words of this passage that we just heard read to us, verse 1 there, rend the heavens and come down? Why doesn't he break into his creation and break the power of sin? That's the same anguish that Isaiah and the people of Israel are experiencing at the time of this prophecy. Why would God let the situation get so desperate? Well, the great news we celebrate at Christmas is that God has done just that. He has come down into his world. He came down as a human being, Jesus Christ. And last week we looked in chapter 61 of Isaiah, the fact that Jesus has come to proclaim good news, the good news of salvation. And we saw how those who accept his invitation to to join his kingdom, how they can receive healing and freedom and comfort. Their lives are transformed as they receive a new purpose, a new joy, and a new identity as God's people, his treasured possession. But having come down once, we might think, well, why is the world still in such a terrible mess? Why is there still so much injustice? There are different ways in which we might respond to 
to the injustice we see around us. Maybe we get so disillusioned with the state of our world that we start to think that either God is not able to do anything about it or he just doesn't want to. We lose our faith in a, in a powerful God or, or a loving God. Or we bury our heads in the sands and think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I might as well just get on with living my life. Or particularly if we are the victims of injustice ourselves, we, we allow it to consume us in, in bitterness. We know that none of these responses is right, so what should we do? What can we do? And that's what we're looking at um, this morning, the second of our sermon in this Advent series. Last week, we looked at um, Jesus has come to bring good news. This morning, we're looking at the fact that Jesus will come again one day to bring justice. And next week, we'll look at the fact that Jesus will come again to bring joy in the new creation. But what this passage this morning teaches us is that faced with all the injustice in the world, the main way in which we can respond is to pray. This passage is a prayer, and it starts back in the previous chapter, in chapter 63. So if you've got a, a Bible handy there, have a look back at um, verse 7 of chapter 63. Uh, Isaiah begins with praise as he recalls the way God has come to the rescue of his people in the past. Verse 7 says, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He praises God for the affection and fatherly love he has for his people. He says in verse 8, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their saviour. He praises God for his sustaining love for his people. He says in verse 9, in his love and mercy, he redeemed them, he lifted them up, and he carried them. He rescued them from from Egypt by some amazing miracle. He brought them through the sea. He saved them from the the Egyptian armies. And Isaiah moves from praise of what God has done to a prayer that he would do the same again. And in prayer, we can express what we are feeling to God right now. He wants us to to do that, to speak to him. So having praised him, Isaiah asks in verse 15, he says, Look down from heaven and see, from your lofty throne, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. That's what it feels like to them. And as we come into chapter 64, the prayer turns into that petition. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. So what does chapter 64 then teach us about how and what we should pray? Well, firstly, we should pray that God's name would be honored. If you look back at chapter 63, verse 12, the, the reason God came to save his people was, it says there, to gain for himself everlasting renown. Or in verse 14, to make for yourself a glorious name. Now, when we think of this in human terms, it feels a bit odd, doesn't it? It feels like, um, you know, somebody going on, I'm a celebrity, to make a name for themselves because they failed in every other aspect of their, their careers. <laughs> But when it's God, he is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. The only one who deserves to receive glory. 
Because he's the one who made this earth. He's the one who made us to live on it. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. He's the God who loves justice. And it's because people don't acknowledge him as God and instead live their lives as though they are God that the world is in the mess that it's in. And that's why when Isaiah prays in verse 2 of chapter 64, he prays, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Or put it another way, come down and let them know that you are God. If they saw you for who you really are, in all your majesty and splendor, they would tremble, they would quake. Throughout the Bible, fire symbolizes the presence of the, the Holy God. If God were to come down, the twigs of people's lives would be set ablaze. The lukewarm water of their souls would boil over. They wouldn't dare do the things they're doing or say the things they are saying. Isaiah carries on in verse 3. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. We've seen what you can do, God. Come and do it again. And so when it comes to how we should pray, the first thing we should pray is that God's name would be honoured. And when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, that is what we're praying, that God would make his name known, that he would receive all the honour that he rightly deserves. How does he receive that honour? Well, when people worship him as the one true God and live in ways which are pleasing to him, to his holy character. The passage we looked at last week in Isaiah 61, it said, I, the Lord, love justice. When we pray that his name is honoured, we are praying that there will be justice in this world and in our particular situation. So firstly, we should pray for God's name to be honoured. Secondly, we should pray, we should trust God to act on our behalf as we wait for him. Verse 4 says, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. What does it mean to wait for God or wait on God? Well, it means to bring him our prayer needs, to bring him all the issues going on in our lives and trust that he will answer them according to his perfect wisdom, according to his justice and in his own perfect timing. God hates injustice. He feels our pain when we experience injustice. But he's not a a genie in a bottle who we can call on to deal with our problem and then put him back in his bottle until we need him again. God is the God of the universe. He will answer our prayers, but in his timing, according to his wisdom. How do we know he will? Because he has come down already. Jesus has achieved the final victory over sin and death through his own death and resurrection. He's waiting for the right moment to come down again and complete the work he started. What will happen on that day? Well, have a look back at chapter 63, the beginning of that chapter. Verse 1, who is this coming from Edom? 
Edom is the long-standing enemy of Judah, represents all the enemies of, of God's people. He's coming with his garments stained crimson. Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. In verse 6, I trampled the nations in my anger, in my wrath I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. It's graphic language, isn't it? Verse 4 says it, going back a couple of verses, it was for me the day of vengeance, the year for me to redeem had come. It's the day of vengeance, we're told, but the drive, the motivation for that vengeance is not the sort of. Um, Revenge that we sometimes think of, of getting our own back to make us feel good. It's what many films today are about, isn't it? Someone's been victimized or feels they've been victimized and they take things into their own hands just to, to make themselves feel good. And so we watch films like Acts of Vengeance or Payback, Unforgiven. They go on and on, don't they? On the day of vengeance, God acts justly to bring honor to his name and to redeem his people. When we belong to God, we are his people. We are united to him in Jesus. And so when people persecute us, they're persecuting God himself. That's what Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus when he was going around killing Christians. He said, Saul, Saul, when he appeared to him in a blinding light, he said, why do you persecute me? If you persecute God, the injury that's done is huge. And therefore the appropriate punishment is huge. But we can trust that God will bring justice when he comes again. In Acts 17 it says, For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The thing is when... We have been, when we've experienced injustice and we, we wait for God to act on our behalf, we may not necessarily see justice in our lifetimes. There are many Christians who over the centuries have been killed for their faith, whose murders were never held to account. And the book of Revelation in the New Testament describes their situation. Have a look on to Revelation chapter 6. Look what it says there in verse 9. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. It's estimated that 21,600 Christians were murdered. More than 6,000 were detained or imprisoned. Another 4,000 plus were kidnapped. And in addition, more than 5,000 churches were destroyed. God promises that he will act on behalf of those who wait for him. 
then it means we need to pray for his help and trust that he will do what he says he will do. To trust him, first of all, that one day justice will be done. It says in Romans 12, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If it's not done immediately or even in our lifetimes, there will come a day of reckoning. Even if we have to wait for Jesus to come again before we see justice. So firstly, we pray for God's name to be honoured. We pray that God, we trust God to act on our behalf as we wait for him. And finally, we should pray that God would forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we've been treated unjustly. It's, it's easy, isn't it, to become so consumed by it that we end up responding in a sinful way ourselves, either in our thoughts or, or our actions. That's why it's important in the face of injustice to start by praying for God's name to be honoured. To pray that we would trust that God would act on our behalf. Otherwise, the temptation is to take things into our own hands uh, and do something we will regret that will cause God dishonour. Temptation is to dwell on that injustice uh, so much that we become full of hatred towards that person. As a wrongly convicted person said after being released from prison in West Virginia where he unjustly served 12 years for something he hadn't done. He said, he who seeks revenge digs two graves. He who seeks revenge digs two graves. We need to pray that God would enable us to forgive those who sin against us. But that will only be possible when we appreciate just how much we ourselves have been forgiven. Look how the passage continues in verse 5. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. And have given us over to our sins. I think it's human nature, isn't it, to find a scapegoat. Problems with lockdown? Well, let's blame Matt Hancock. Problems with the royal family? Let's blame Harry and Meghan. Problems with the England football team? Still to come. <laughs> let's blame Gareth Southgate. Why do we do that? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves, isn't it? You know... Many people put humankind into two categories. There's the evil who do terrible things. And then there's everybody else, including ourselves, who are generally okay. We just try to be good, but often mess up. What Isaiah is saying here is actually, compared to the holy God, none of us is okay. Because our hearts have been affected by sin. And he gives us a very vivid description here, doesn't he, of sin and sinners. And this is the prophet Isaiah saying this. He's not separating himself from the others. He's including himself amongst that. All of us, he says, have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Filthy rags is, is a strong term. And notice he's not just talking about the bad things he knows he does. He's saying the things he thinks 
are righteous. Even they are like right filthy rags. Filthy rags to a God who is holy, who is perfect. Moreover, he says, we all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. Sin cuts us off from God. And when we're cut off from life, we die. It's like what happens to a nice green leaf when it dies, it shrivels up. When Jesus comes again on the day of judgment, none of us deserves to stand before him. None of us will be good enough to claim our innocence, that we are okay. We won't be good enough to say, well, I'm not as bad as him or her over there. But the good news is, as we saw last week, that there is a way in which we can be vindicated, in which we can be declared innocent by God, where we don't have to stand there on the day of judgment trembling before our holy God, wondering what the verdict will be for us. And that way is to trust that Jesus took our punishment for him on the cross. He took all of our sins on himself. And he paid the huge penalty that we should have paid when he did that, out of his love for us. And because of that, we can look forward to the day when Jesus comes again. We can pray for that day when he comes again, knowing that is the day when we will go to be with our Heavenly Father. Verse 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. The basis of their request, their expectation that God will come to them is that they have been adopted as his children, and God God cannot deny his children. As we saw last week, it's a privileged position to be a, a child of God. And whilst we trust that he will not let us go as his children, we, we also need to remain on our guard, though, that the devil will not try and take us away from him and undermine our faith. As we said earlier, the dangerous thing about being a victim of injustice is that unless we hand it over to God and wait on him, we too can be led into sin. And so we do need to do what we said. Pray that God's name would be honoured. Trust God to act on our behalf as we wait for him. And pray that God will forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And when we do that, we can rejoice even when we face injustice ourselves. Because we know that in our suffering, we are becoming like Jesus and our reward is waiting for us in heaven. Jesus said these words. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And next week in Isaiah 65, we will look at what Jesus will do when he comes again for his people. Those who put their trust in him. He will create a new heaven, a new earth where there will be no more injustice, no more suffering. 
no more persecution. Well, we're going to celebrate that in the Lord's uh, table in, a, in just a minute. Just have, let's have a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves for that. As we reflect on what God has been saying to us this morning. I'm going to um, just pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, we won't pray it together because I want to just pray it quite slowly and deliberately and allow you time just to reflect on these, these words and what they mean to you from what we've heard this morning. Just have a moment of, of quiet and allow the Spirit to work in our hearts. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we do pray that you would just pour out your spirit upon us, that we would be mindful of all your goodness, uh, all that you have done for us. That we would be overwhelmed by your love and live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.